0: This is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series.
1: Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership, and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ.
0: Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Hello everyone, here we are with our guest, Robert Jackson. Thank you for being here on the show, Robert.
2: Thanks for having me, looking forward to it.
0: Absolutely, Uh, we are thrilled. This episode we're focused on leaders in and outside of the classroom and how they can build meaningful connections with students. Most importantly and particularly our brown and black male students uh, where we consider Robert an expert. Um, So we could not have thought of anyone better to have this conversation with then Robert Jackson. TJ, why don't you say a little bit more about Robert?
1: Thank you, Joe. Our guest for this episode is Robert Jackson. He began his teaching career almost 25 years ago in Indianapolis public schools with a no more excuses teaching approach with all of his students after being cut from the NFL Minnesota Vikings. As an educator, he didn't allow his students to feel sorry for themselves or let their circumstances define their futures. He set high expectations for his students and expected them all to do well. Those same students went to uh, those same students went from low performing to successful pastors, lawyers, school administrators, teachers, pharmaceutical sales reps, business owners, professional athletes, entertainers, and much more. He's become one of the most sought after speakers in the country, delivering keynote addresses and workshops to educators and administrators at national conferences parents and student workshops, corporate events, and churches. He's delivered hundreds of presentations and has become an expert in teaching cultural diversity, restorative practices, social emotional learning, working with students who have experienced trauma, and how to educate Black and Latino males. His goal is to teach educators and administrators how to use their power more effectively to educate, activate, and motivate all students to be successful. We love that. Mr. Jackson has written and published six books and has written articles for ASCD, uh, Educational Leadership Magazine. His new book, Becoming the Educator They Need, Strategies, Mindsets, and Beliefs for Supporting Male, Black, and Latino Students, just won the Gold Excel Award for Technical Writing in July of 2020. His No More Excuses curriculum has been featured in publications nationally, and he's being used in... It, the curriculum is being used in K-12 schools, colleges, and universities in the U.S. and Canada. His books include Black Men Stand Up, A Boy's Guide to Manhood, A Young Woman's Guide to Womanhood, Put a Stop to Bullying and Solutions to Educating Black and Latino Males. He's married to Essence bestselling author Tawana Butler Jackson, TJ, and they have three children and one grandson. His motto, which we, we appreciate for every problem, there's a solution all right robert we want to dive right into this conversation on the importance of supporting our black and brown male students and how educators can create school environments that are culturally responsive what are some key ways that school leaders can directly connect and support their black and brown students we want to identify very granular practical ways for our listeners to use your strategies so that they can implement them right away today after listening?
2: Okay. Well, that's a great question. I mean, the short answer is get to know your kids, do a survey, um, talk to them. Um, You understand how to equip someone with what they need by asking them what they need, by understanding their experiences um, so you know how to respond to trauma and you know how to respond to certain situations and not take it personal, like many um, leaders have done. You know, a kid coming in cussing or acting out instead of taking it personal, start peeling back the onion to see what the problem is. And uh, a simple survey, um, it doesn't have to have names on it to understand the needs of our children. Um, I posted something on Twitter uh, the other day there was a police officer asking a young male of color. He had to be about eight, nine years old. What do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, alive, you know what I mean? And just right there, I mean, the different experiences that some of our young men of color experience is a lot different than some other young men around the country.
0: Robert, if you don't mind, let's go down that uh, a little bit more. I'll be honest when you just shared that with me, that's striking. I mean, and, and both TJ and I have worked in Title I schools. Um, we've worked in high minority population schools. We have unfortunately lost students mm-hmm. and lost them um, to prison and into maybe if you want to so, say the streets as well. How do, how do we then interact with that young man? How do we then not only get them to see like, we're here for you but what do schools have to do? Because that's a reality that I think a lot of our students face. And that's not just talk. That young man just didn't say that. I'm sure, sure. he truly believes that.
2: Mm-hmm. You
0: know, so we do the survey. We know a lot of our students of color, particular males feel this way. They're, they're looking to survive. What do schools have to do to take that next step to build a, a culture for them that's supportive, encouraging and educational?
2: Well, um, the biggest thing, in order to educate the mind, you must capture the heart. How do we capture the heart of children? Um, A kid is not going to work with you unless he know you care. Um, So many kids are going through so much trauma at home. And there's four ways to experience trauma. You experience it directly. You experience it by witnessing an event you experience it by hearing about something that happened and you experience it by repeated exposure. So just because a kid is not dealing with trauma directly don't mean that he's not dealing with trauma in his life. He could have seen some things, watching his mom be abused. He could have heard about something. Um, When you see the George Floyd incident on national TV, I mean, many of us have been traumatized so many times. You never get used to it, but it's just that eerie feeling that you get. So It's hard for educators and leaders to understand that if you haven't experienced it, but you can still have empathy. We don't need to be feeling sorry for kids. When you feel sorry for kids, you lower your expectations. I tell leaders that all the time. I don't need you feeling sorry for me. I need you to teach me how to navigate through the school system. So when I step out the door and start competing in the real world, um, I'm, I'm equipped with what I need to compete. Um, not feeling sorry, but having empathy. And empathy means when a kid is acting out instead of kicking him out of school. And when you're kicking kids out of school, which happens quite often, just last year, 1.2 million Black and Hispanic males were suspended from K-12 schools. I look at it as subjective versus objective. If somebody brings a gun, a knife, or assaults somebody, they should be suspended or they should be out of school. But we got to start troubleshooting what disrespect is. Because I've done many webinars and Zooms and, and professional development. And, you know, there were educators who were talking loud, cussing in the background, uh, forgot their cameras were on or their mics were on, you know. So what, how should I look at that? Should I look at it as disrespect? Should they be suspended for five days with no pay? You know, we have to start thinking about the ramifications of the suspensions and start digging a little deeper to find out, what behavior is leading him to be this way? How can I combat this behavior? And I challenge school leaders all the time, get to the meat of the problem so we can start coming up with solutions. I'm a product of Title I schools. I've been suspended more than 20 times from school. And I'm gonna tell you right now, I learned nothing from being suspended. I learned nothing. And um, the only thing I learned is to have more free time to get in more trouble because my mom was at work. There was no rehabilitation. There was no, uh, well, let me bring you in the office and find out what's going on at home. Nobody asked me about my stepfather uh, punching me in the face. Nobody asked me about the times I was jumped in my neighborhood on my way to school um, by the same group of guys. Nobody asked me about being stabbed in front of my house. Nobody asked me about how I felt when my best friend was laying there dead on the ground. Nobody asked me those things. And those things were traumatic for me. So when you're a young person, you don't know how to handle your emotions. You act out in certain ways. And emotions or feelings on the inside caused by pain or pleasure that move you in a direction. So just like young people have out of control emotions, unfortunately, I've seen adults, um, school leaders, uh, teachers, other leaders with out of control emotions. So we have to make sure that we um, bringing together and bridging that gap between the parents, between the educators and students and finding out viable ways to combat this problem.
0: Robert, would you mind if uh, you shared a little bit of your story of how you did survive all of that? Um, I think actually that, that's an incredible title of either a book or a blog or something. No one asked me. would you would you mind just sharing with us obviously you have succeeded you decided to go into a profession where there's very few black males period you obviously just described trauma in your own life that could have easily sent you in a different direction Um, were there a couple things that really were just in place that did make a difference
2: Well, you know, I was an athlete. So one thing about athletics is that it helped me stay grounded, Um, even though I was dealing with the trauma. um, I was an athlete. I I spent a lot of time in sports and it kept me out of some of the trouble I could have got in. But some of our kids are not athletes. Um, You know, growing up in my neighborhood, I had four sisters and my mom. I didn't have a father in the house. Uh, So I had all women, my grandmother, and I had three stepsisters after that. So I had a lot of women in my house, and it was a very small house. So I was outside a lot trying to find friends to play with because there wasn't no, I didn't have a brother. I didn't have any male cousins my age. So it it was difficult. So sometimes when I was out in the streets, I mean, I would find myself in some bad situations, Um, you know, being jumped, being targeted. Um, We call it bullying today. Back then, we used to call it being picked on. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> you know, um, there were several times where, um, I felt like, uh, my life could have took a turn for the worse. It's really tough to, um, analyze those emotions and those feelings. Um, so sports helped ground me a little bit and I was always driven. I just wasn't driven in the right direction. I was always a leader. I, I just wasn't leading properly because I didn't have somebody guiding me through that leadership. And many of these young men who are acting out are leaders. They need to be given roles, uh, taking attendance, uh, helping to pass out papers or other leadership roles. And, 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 And I had a coach in high school who told me that I was great, who told me that I was going to college, who told me that I needed to believe in myself. And the reason why I'm so passionate about this work is because yes, um, I slipped through the cracks and I didn't go to prison. I didn't get killed. I'm here, but I can't say the same for Carlos Jefferson. I can't say the same for Michael Butler or Billy Williams or Andrew Triplett or Earl Session or Anthony Day. I can't say the same for Larry Shotwell or Tony Binion. Say so I can keep naming people that you never heard of. But these are people I know that I'm still, you know, still dealing with the trauma to this day of all my friends who would have been killed, all my friends who have gone to prison. Because, you know, I mean, for minor offenses, um, I had a friend of mine who got caught smoking weed for the third time and they gave him 20 years. You know, now weed is, uh, is legal, you know? So it, it's just so many, um, the systemic racism and oppression is something that you can't see with the naked eye. But that school to prison pipeline is real. And I was right in line uh, to head the head down that path to go to prison. But like I said, I was a halfway decent athlete and I had an opportunity uh, to go to college, and I was also a good student. You know, I made good grades. Even though I was acting out, I was on the honor roll. Can somebody sit me down and talk to me? I'm on the honor roll. So it's obvious that I'm a good student, but every time I look around, they're trying to kick me out for something. Some teachers say I looked at her the wrong way. What does that look like? You know, she said, I wouldn't even look at her. I was daydreaming. I could have been hungry. Um, I just could have been dazed or something. You know, some days I, I had some missed meal cramps. You know, we didn't you know, lights was off. You know, so many things. I was so many of our kids, like myself, were socially, economically disadvantaged. And it's not about being poor, it's about having a lack of resources. And I think our leaders got to understand the difference between a kid being poor and a kid lacking the proper uh, uh, things they need to, to just survive on a daily basis. Like if your father's not in a home, or if you're missing meals, or you got a light, your lights, or your gas, or your water is cut off. I mean, those are things that are like, you know, essential to your uh, everyday needs. And you get to school and you're getting scolded for not having a pencil. You know, you scold me for not having a pencil and I didn't eat last night. I think we got to start digging a little deeper into the problem to really tell the real story about what's going on. Not the story in the news. You know, you keep watching I keep watching the news. I'm going to be scared of myself, you know. So, I mean, two and three in the stories in the news about guys like me is always negative. When only 2% of our men of color, uh, our black males are committing violent crimes, that means the other 98% are trying to get home, have a lovely family like I have, and just trying to live life, you know, so I think that's important to point out. But what about those young men who don't, who are not good in sports, who don't have activities, they have all this idle time and are in front of the computer, which we didn't have computers when I was a kid, you know, we had to get outside and play, you know, so, um, I think it's important for educators to understand the plight of these young men not to feel sorry for them but to understand um, a little bit more about why is he thinking this way why is he acting this way why does he look this way i'm not trying to scare you i'm wearing my life on my face i may be hungry i may have been abused last night you know so we gotta start digging a little deeper um, as educators and we're going to educate activate and motivate all kids to be great then you need to believe that all kids can be great It's hard for me to teach somebody I'm despising. If that makes sense, it's hard for me to teach somebody I don't like. You know, if you and I've had educators tell me, I just don't like you. I don't like your kind. I don't like people that look like you. I mean, this is somebody who's supposed to be educating, activating, and motivating me to be great. That's a contradiction.
1: So, Robert, let's get one more time granular, and then we're going to ask you some of our One Thing series questions. You're working with a teacher or you're working with an administrator who is working with teachers. We're talking post-observation conferences, and we want to give specific strategies to this teacher to connect with kids, to make sure. I mean, these are folks who may have not had those lived trauma experiences. They're trying to be empathetic what are some things you would tell them to do differently or to do more of in the classroom?
2: Well, there are six core values to connecting with our young people. And I've talked about them in my uh, book, Becoming the Educator They Need. Uh, number one is love. Well, how do you show show love? Well, you got to love yourself first. How are you showing love to somebody you don't even love yourself? Um, you know, uh, I, I, I just had this conversation with um, uh, some colleagues about how do you show love to kids? Well, you know, in a virtual environment, well, you still can show love to kids. How do you do that? Well, you got to love them through the screen. You got to compliment them. You got to call them by their names, um, ask them how they're doing. Um, you know, these are things, ways that you connect with children. Um, how, and, and number two is trust. How do you build trust? Well, you don't build trust overnight. You build trust over time. Um, you know, when you got married, I mean, I'm sure you didn't just meet your spouse and just get married tomorrow. I mean, I mean, you have to (laughs) build a relationship and build some trust over time before you decided to go ahead and, you know, jump the broom and, and go ahead and get married. Uh, So trust is, like I said, it's not built over time, it's built overnight. Understand that when I've been brutalized, I've been mistreated, I've been pre-criminalized, I've had racial microaggressions. I've had people marginalizing me. I've been treated like I've been invisible. Uh, I've been a stereotype threat. When I I have experienced those things, uh, I'm not gonna be acting normal. I'm gonna be acting defensive. Um, So besides love and trust, you gotta have fairness. Um, I wanna be treated fair. I wanna feel like uh, I'm being treated like the person next to me. I don't wanna feel like you're treating them one way and treating me another way, if that makes sense educators, uh, administrators, have some support. And we gotta have some support systems in place. Everybody's not okay during this pandemic. Uh, Mental illness is real. The number one problem people are dealing with right now is loneliness, not just the kids, but the adults. So support systems, um, 800 numbers, uh, just some kind of support line. Uh, Number five is accountability. We gotta be accountable for our actions. If we're gonna hold kids accountable, then we have to be accountable as well. If you say you're gonna do something, do it. If you make a mistake, you apologize or you correct it or do both. And lastly, which is the most important is safety. Safety is extremely important um, to our young people. Uh, Safety, Uh, what does that mean? Uh, Not just protecting the physical, but protecting the mental state and um, just helping kids feel in a safe environment. Kids are at home. They said child abuse has gone down. No, it's gone up 600% because it's not being reported. Most child abuse uh, cases were reported by educators, not parents. So, you know, parents are trying to work and trying to homeschool, and the stress level's gone up, and some kids are being affected by that. How can I help this person, this young person, feel safe? Well, I can let them know that uh, when they come in a couple minutes late because they've been cooking breakfast or lunch and trying to help their younger siblings. I let them in without, you know, fussing at them and um, you know, and and just letting them know that this is a safe space. You know, you can express your feelings and your emotions and you can talk to me about whatever you need to talk to me about. But those six core values are extremely important when when connecting with our young people.
0: Robert, thank you. Um, We're going to definitely reference all of that. So when people interact with this podcast and the show notes, um, they'll dig right into your, your work online as well. I know our listeners would benefit greatly from learning about how you learn, how you've developed as a leader. So who is one person or group that you follow for either knowledge or inspiration? And where could we find
2: them? Well, uh, there's a couple of folks. For one, um, you know, um, you know, my pastor, Creflo Dollar, um, he's one of the, the people I follow. I mean, he's one of the realest men I've ever met and following his teachings about uh, grace. And um, it, it just lets me know that everybody has the potential to be great, but you got to bring out the greatness in folks. Um, so he's one of the people I follow real closely. And, um, I have, um, I, I try, I'm an avid reader. So I like to read a lot about, um, people who've made a difference. And I know it's going to sound crazy, but some of the people I follow are no longer alive. You know, um, I still listen to, um, old clips of, of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King and Fred Hampton and, um, uh, Mega Everest and Stokely Carmichael and, um, you know, these are some of the uh, John Lewis, I mean, some of the leaders who are no longer here, but their voice is still so strong. And I go back and listen to Muhammad Ali, and um, listen to those folks who influenced me, um, as I was growing up, and I would go back and I would listen to those clips. And I'm still influenced by it, I'm still motivated by it. So, you know, I mean, it sounds kind of crazy. But those are some of the I, I really appreciate Uh, Those uh, old school um, individuals who told it like it was, uh, Dick Gregory, uh, uh, Baldwin, you know, um, those are some of the people who are no longer here, but their voice is still so strong in my mind. And I still go back and I listen to those clips for, um, you know, motivation and influence. Even I've listened to Jim Brown lately, you know, some of how he, transition from the state of Georgia to one of the uh, most successful athletes in the country. And, um, you know, uh, I was studying Fred Hampton long before uh, Judas and the Black Messiah uh, movie came out. You know, Fred Hampton was only 21 years old when he was leading the Black Panther Party in Chicago. And and, 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 yes, the Black Panther Party, but many people who don't know, he was trying to bring all races together and was murdered by the FBI. Under the leadership of J. Edgar Hoover. So, Krefeld um, Dollar Ministries. I, I listen to my, my pastor all the time. I go back and listen to some of his uh, sermons on manhood, on how a man's supposed to treat his family and uh, leaving an inheritance for your children's children. And then I go back and listen to those clips of my fallen heroes who have uh, passed on. You know, like I said, including you know Dr. King, who said, "Your silence is consent." And I think that is extremely important. When you see uh, injustice anywhere, that's an injustice everywhere. I mean, those those words still ring true today. And um, there's a lot of injustices that we ignore. And if you're a leader and you call yourself a leader and you don't expect to be talked about, then you're not ready to lead. And leadership doesn't require a title, but everybody with a title is not a leader. And we have to make sure that we understand as leaders, um, we're gonna be held at a different standard. And but leaders also know when to follow Uh, leaders also know when to listen and you can't talk and listen at the same time. Um, Sometimes as a leader, you don't have to give advice. You just got to listen. So those are some of the folks who have influenced me. I know I named quite a few, but I I really do go back and listen to those clips. And I was listening to uh, I was watching an interview yesterday with Jim Brown and uh, um, something Everett show uh, back from the 60s. And uh, he was on there with the governor of Georgia at the time. And um, I watched this governor of Georgia just continue to lose control of his emotions. And I saw Jim Brown just coasting just like this, because anytime his emotion goes up, that's when the, that's where the focus goes and he stayed connected to the audience by just staying calm and staying cool. And I learned how to do that as a man, the weakest man on the planet is a man who can't control his emotions, not a man who doesn't cry, but a man without a control emotions. You got to be calm and collective uh, when you are handling these kind of situations. So those are some of the folks who have influenced me.
1: Thank you for that. We're much appreciated. We're going to try to capture as many of those folks as possible. I really think there's a great point in here, though, Robert, that I want to um that i want to emphasize is that our some of our deepest relationships and our greatest mentors are people who we will never meet i listened to jim collins the other day say that some of his greatest mentors are through autobiographies that he reads and just getting information about how people led how they thought um and what went through their mind in a particular point in history or a particular point in their life we can learn so much from that so thank you for sharing
2: and I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, and it changed my life. I still listen to quotes by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, um, you know, who's passed away many years ago. So those are some of the folks who've had some of the biggest influences um, on my life personally. Um, and I think it's important to, you know, point those individuals out because I still listen to them to this day, and I'm still influenced by. Them. And um, just because somebody's no longer here in the present. Don't mean they still can't have that same impact on you. And um, I, I love going back and, and listening to some of the talks from the '50s and '60s, and because it still it still uh, resonates with how we live in today.
1: So true. So true, and and great advice for leaders. Exactly what our listeners love to hear. Next question: What's one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? In your opinion.
2: I think um, the one thing they should do is self-care. Self-care is extremely important. If I take better care of myself, then I'm gonna be better at taking care of other people or giving everybody what they need. When you get on the airplane, uh, right before the airplane takes off, and I, I, I was flying a lot before the pandemic, but during this COVID, I'm right here at home. But uh, when I was traveling quite a bit, one thing the pilot would say before, or the flight attendant would say before we take off, if the air pressure drops, put the mask on who first? Yourself. And she said, put the mask on yourself first, because if you're trying to put the mask on other people, you're going to exhaust yourself and pass out. So here's five things I ask educators to do every single day. Uh, Number one is exercise. You got to find some time to exercise. Um, Even if you can't get to the gym, you can walk around your neighborhood, you can walk around your house. Uh, you got to find some way to exercise. Number two is eat right. Too much of anything is toxic and you need a balance. Right now, a lot of people, uh, I've been reading articles and, and seeing uh, seminars. People say they I'm guilty of eating a lot of junk during this pandemic. Well, you got to balance your life. Right now, you need to be keeping your immune system up. So that means taking your elderberry teas, um, your iris C moss, your wheatgrass, taking your vitamin C, those things and keep your immune system up and then trying to balance your diet, eating fruits and vegetables along with all that junk food. Just too much of anything is bad for you, so cut back on the junk food. So number two is eat right. Number three, every day you should meditate. And you meditate, that means you're closing your eyes and just uh, relaxing and finding that comparable place that's uh, peaceful for you. When something costs you your peace, it costs too much. You can put a million dollars on the table for my piece, I'm going to tell you to keep it. So you got to meditate. Number four is you got to pray. Spend some time in prayer. Spend some time talking to the creator and um, asking for direction, thanking him for what he's already done. And lastly, last but not least, extremely important to get some rest. I say get some rest. Get some rest means that you put your technology down. Get some rest means you put your computer down. Get some rest means that you land back and relaxing and you coast it off into a nice sleep because your mind is relaxed because you've exercised, you've ate right, you've meditated, you've prayed, and now it's time for you to let everything go and relax for the evening. So those five things of self-care, um, I tell uh, educators all the time, because secondary traumatic stress is real. That compassion fatigue uh, for kids, I've had it before. And I was on hypertension medicine over 20 years ago. I said, no, I'm getting off of this. I'm not going to be stressed out about my job. And I got off that stuff in like two months and I haven't touched it since. As a matter of fact, I'm almost 50 years old. I'll be 50 in April and I'm not on any medicine. Uh, The only medicine I'm on is some uh, iris sea moss, (laughs) which is natural, some uh, uh, wheatgrass, which is natural, or uh, some elderberry. So, you know, keep your stress level down. And uh, to me, happiness is the new rich, kindness is the new cool health is the new wealth and inner peace is the new success so that's how i look at life
0: incredibly wise robert i think those five are powerfully uh they are the power five you know if you can get those right um quick side story yeah a friend of mine just introduced me principal of saint george's dr reynolds ashanta um, just introduced me to CMOS, and okay. uh, I gave it a shot. So I think we're always okay. trying to explore, but I don't think you can get away from the need to engage physically sure. and then allow yourself some peace of mind. So it's almost counter um, to one another, but get get physical, get your heart rate up but find ways to calm your mind through prayer and meditation. And I don't think people look at like ourselves and our life enough through that lens. Instead, our minds are racing and then we're physically sitting still. Sure. And what you just described is, is hundred percent the opposite, which we appreciate. Um, Robert, let's dig into a little bit. Um, you're incredibly accomplished. Still a very young man. Um, what's one thing that you would want to know or be able to do that you don't already?
2: Um, that's a good question. Um, you know, I think for me, um, I try to live um, every day to the fullest. And um, one of the biggest things is um, just continuing to um, meet these leaders and find out how they think, what makes them tick, what what got you into uh, leadership. Um, why, why do you lead this way? And I think one of my life's missions is to look at something from a different perspective as I do implicit bias trainings, which I've done a lot of those lately. Um, I've learned to look at it through a different lens and just because, uh, and you have implicit bias and you have explicit bias. I really appreciate the explicit bias more because I know where you stand. And I know it's kind of, it sounds crazy and derogatory, somebody yelling out racial slurs and calling you names. Well, at least I know where it's coming from. And one of the things that I've challenged myself that I haven't done enough of is sitting down with that person who's yelling out those racial slurs and just just to feel and understand what is your thought process? Why do you feel this way? I don't even know you. Why do you feel this way about me? And then just instead of being reactive and trying to get an understanding of the thought process. And as far as implicit bias, getting people to be more explicit in their implicit biases and stop trying to hide them. Um, So that's one of the things that I would like to be more intentional uh, about is that we need to be able to hear it from both sides. Diversity and inclusion is about acceptance and respect. I may not see eye to eye with you. I may not agree with everything you say, but I need to be able to accept it and respect it no matter what your perspective is.
1: That's great. I think with what you were saying earlier, maybe perspective finding is the new smart.
2: Right, it is. You know, Because we have to be able to look at things from all different sides. We're never gonna get to the root of the issue if we can't even sit to the table and talk. And um just because just because somebody's yelling out something that you may not agree with it, find out why. Why are they yelling out these things and then have a conversation? I know this is kind of off off track, but um I was watching a show and uh this guy, he actually sat down with some clan members. And 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 found out, you know, why they thought the way they did. They end up having a beer together, talking, they end up becoming good friends. <laughs> you know, I'm not saying I'm gonna be friends or anything like that, but I would like to see things from another perspective. I've heard one side. I wanna hear the other side. And I wanna get to an understanding. And then I want the other side to hear this side, and we come together for an understanding. I think that's what this world needs. Um, there's no time for division. Uh, We need to be coming together. Um, You know, and division is, is a, is a uh, ploy of the adversary. And um, I'm trying to fight against that thing and step out of the box and look at things a little bit differently through another lens.
1: Well, I think that there's one theme, um, Robert, so far in a lot of your answers has been that perspective mining. I think that's worth, maybe that's a title of an article or a book too is just, perspective mining. Let's get to the root cause of this before we start pointing fingers and judging one another. Sure. What's one thing that has led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others might be able to replicate?
2: Well, I think I've kind of answered it. Um, I understand that leadership is bigger than a title. Uh, Leadership is about what you do on a daily basis. Um, It's about how are you influencing other people? It's about being able to listen to criticism and not taking it personal and uh, looking at it from a different perspective. Um, Leadership is about, um, you know, uh, listening to uh, even the ones that you don't want to sit down with and listening to them anyway. You know they have biases. You know that they are influenced by uh, another entity, but you still need to be able to handle that perspective. Yeah. I think more importantly is leadership is an everyday thing. It's not a every now and then thing when you're a leader and you sign up for that. It's every day. It's not every now and then. It's not when I feel like it leadership is every single day and, um, every day is going to bring new challenges. And, um, trying to influence leaders to not take it personal. We always, when you take it personal, um, you know, it's just like, you know, you, you've you already lost the situation because you've already taken it personal. Instead of taking it personal, again, like I said earlier, look at it from the other perspective and what they see and what they've experienced and what they've gone through. You know, I think that's important.
0: I think it's critically important, Robert. It's so hard to do. You know, we, we tend to react But I will say, if you can sit back, particularly as a leader, and think of the feedback as information, sole information to grow. So we'll have strategic plan meetings, we'll meet with our steering committee, we'll have our parent group, we'll do all of this stuff to get feedback, and then suddenly when somebody gives it and we didn't ask for it, we're suddenly not as receptive. I think that's a, a growth aspect of a leader and maturity when they get to that spot. Robert, our final question, what's one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore?
2: Well, um, that's that's a great one to end with. Uh, one of the things I used to think is that certain individuals didn't have any issues. Um, they didn't have any problems. Uh, their life was perfect. And I know now that that's not true. Um, everybody has different problems there's different levels of stress and different levels of problems, no matter what you look like. Um, so uh, I've, 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 come to learn that, um, you know, everybody has a story and uh, everybody's story deserves to be heard. Um, when it comes to these young men, their stories deserve to be heard. Um, and the educators should tell the story from where they are. Um, I, I was talking to an educator. I am with this. I was talking to some educators after a conference one time. And I had a lady, she said, I can't relate to these young men. I don't know their experiences. I don't know them. I don't understand them. They don't understand me. And, and, I, and after she finished venting, I said, well, why don't you help them understand you? She said, well, I like country music. I said, well, then, like country. Well, they never heard it before. I said, that's one reason why you need to play it. Give them, let them see who you really are, if that makes sense. Many times, we don't get a chance to show people who we really are. And I said, show them who you are, play your music, play your country music, and be yourself. And um, I think that's one of the things I try to leave individuals with is be yourself, but be empathetic to the young people you're working with at the same time.
1: There you have it, another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at the schoolhouse 302com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs, always on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed this one thing, Series podcast on how educators can engage and connect with all of their students and so much more with Robert Jackson. Robert, thank you for being on
2: the show. Hey, thanks for having me, gentlemen. Have a wonderful day.